HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Hearst Ranch, the nation's largest single-source supplier of free-range, all-natural, grass-fed, and grass-finished beef. For more information, visit HearstRanch.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. This is Greenhorns Radio, and this is Severin Radio for Young Farmers by Young Farmers, coming to you today from the Champlain Valley. I'm joined by Sarah Edmonds from Pennsylvania. Hello. Welcome to the show, Sarah. Hi. How are you? Pretty good. So you're coming to farming via this new program called the Seed Farm in uh, Pennsylvania. What's the name of the town? I forgot it now, but... Uh, and then before that, in Veracruz. Oh yes, and before that, you were a professor of printmaking and uh, therefore an artist. Yep. Um, could you explain a little bit what that transition was like? How you got to that program and um, and began your career as well, your second sure. career. Yeah, we um, the seed farm is a nonprofit that's right outside of Emmaus, Pennsylvania. It's in Veracruz, and I have um, two degrees in printmaking, um, fine art, bachelor's and master's degree, and um, I was teaching full-time in the visual arts and farming and gardening part-time, basically to keep my hand in the process of, of growing things and and gardening and art has always been very similar to me. They've always been very similar um, because they're process-oriented, sort of slow gratification, um, handwork activities. And one summer, I guess, I was farming full-time and getting ready to go back to teaching and um, decided to continue on the farm I was helping out at for their fall season. And uh, after I did that, my my teaching offers got less and less because I was prioritizing farming and decided after working for a few years for a couple different farms, a CSA farm and an orchard here in Pennsylvania, um, that I should try to pursue running my own business and just to have a little bit more say in what I was growing and 
um, try to be able to grow organically and cultivate land. So for those who aren't familiar with um, Imanus, do you say Emmaus? How do you say it? Oh, Emmaus. Emmaus. Isn't that where um, Rodale is headquartered? Yep, we're down the road from Rodale Publisher, and I live in Kutztown, which is about 17 miles from the farm, and Kutztown is the home of the Rodale Experimental Farm. So so maybe just as a little bit of a primer for those who are in the very beginning of their green horniness and who don't even know about Rodale yet, uh, just a tiny bit of that history. I don't know a ton about Rodale. Um, but what I do know is just from interacting with them as a, a townie, basically, in Kutztown. Um, they're an experimental farm and publisher that has been on the forefront of organic gardening and health publishing for 50 years, I believe, if not more. And um, my access with the Rodale Farm is mostly just as a consumer and a visitor. I go there um, periodically to walk on a trail that they have, which is a self-guided tour, and they have a great little bookshop. But they are internationally um, proactive in the organic gardening field. And yeah, and they have wonderful history for those who are going to, you know, go and explore that. Read about Robert Rodale and 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 New Farm Magazine, and you know, he was basically a health crusader and an organic farming visionary who started a publishing company just to get the word out, um, and exactly. has, has the longest running trials of side by side conventional and organic uh, production in this country. There is a longer there's a longer term study in Switzerland, and there may be some other places, but uh, really well, wonderful, yeah, well multidimensional uh, institution. Okay, but back to yeah, the... Yeah, well said. I suffer a little bit from the fact that it's right in my backyard and I don't know about it. You know, one of those things. Um, yeah, I, I, I know the feeling. So, yeah. the, so but I, what I don't know anything about is the seed, the seed farm project. Uh, could you give a little bit on that and how you found them and... and why you decided to get in, into that kind of a, a training program? The seed farm was a piece of land that was 480 acres. It was donated to Lehigh County in the mid-'70s, and that land had been leased out to corn and soy farmers for the most part until the county could um, build some momentum on how to best use that land for organic farm production. The family had, that had donated had always wanted it to be farmed um, and in permanent preservation. So the Lehigh County Extension Office, the farmland preservation folks, including Jeff Zare and Tiana DuPont, um, and then a couple of grants from the USDA helped start an incubator program. And the incubator program took about 25 acres of this 480 acres, and started to develop a market garden, a training garden, and then once you were through the training program, individual farmers could lease land at a competitive rate to start their own businesses. So my farm partner, uh, Anton Shannon, and I both went through the training program, and we were both preparing plans to lease land independently, and we looked at our our plans for a small farm, and we had basically the same kind of proposal. We wanted to each do a small CSA with um, 
some cover cropping and intensive vegetable growing. And we decided to combine our farm plants. And so now we rent as Good Works Farm from the Seed Farm, which is the nonprofit, the umbrella, the umbrella organization. And they take new interns every year. The application process is going on right now, in fact. And they train up to, I think it's up to eight interns every year in all aspects of organic gardening, farming, marketing, uh, running a farmer's market, packaging, harvesting, post-harvest handling, and all sorts of stuff. And then anybody who graduates from, from that internship program has the chance to write a proposal for their own business that goes through an approval process after you take a couple classes in business incubation. So that sounds like an amazing program. Is the land still just their land, or is there shared facilities, barns, tools? How many of you are on the farm now? Is there provision for irrigation? Like, what, it, like um, give us your best sell. <laughs> there, are, there are absolutely uh, all those things that you mentioned and a little bit more, and they, um, they have been really helpful in... Anton and I starting up our business as farmers who don't have land and farmers who don't have any um, infrastructure. So we rent a part of a greenhouse from the seed farm. We rent tractor time by the hour. We use some small hand tools. We have to buy other hand tools. Um, all the basic hand cultivating tools we're responsible for buying. Each individual farm has to purchase their own um, the irrigation system is set up with a pump, and there's one pond for irrigation, and then there's a well for greenhouse watering and just regular water access. And then we provide the header line from that irrigation, and we provide our own fuel for that. And we're able to use at an hourly rate small tillage equipment and then any kind of implements for the tractor, including this year the, the big spader, which we refer to lovingly as the Italian stallion. And, uh, and all sorts of other cultivating equipment and seeding equipment and um, the, whole, the whole deal. It sounds and amazing. So now the incubator in um, or the Intervale in Burlington has a similar setup in terms of shared infrastructure and smaller, smaller acreages and uh, cooperative ownership of equipment and renting by the hour and all these things. But but people aren't necessarily incubating and leaving. The question I have about seed farm is: Do they tell you up front that you have a limited amount of time to be there, or how does that work? The program is in its infancy, so Anton and I are the first graduates um, from the internship that have started our own business on the farm, and we're also so we've become technically stewards, and we're also the first stewards that are coming up um, on the end of their lease next year. So it's a great question and one that is not entirely um, answered yet. Right now, it looks like everybody gets a four-year uh, opportunity. They get one year as an intern and then three years to run their own business. And then Anton is right now actively looking at that next stage of what kind of land would be best for the business, the size of the land, um, what kind of infrastructure, the business would need if we should be off this land entirely. But they're also, the county is um, is starting to talk about now 
what it would look like to have a program that would be after a stewardship program because the, our farm has been pretty well received with the local community with as far as CSA members go. And um, we work with one client of a company called VIA, and he, it's a company that uh, matches adults with disabilities and different abilities with a mentor, and then they come out to the farm and work. Um, so that's been pretty awesome for the community. So the community is pretty excited that we're there, and the nonprofit seed farm organization sees that, and I think they're trying to figure out now if there should be or could be a stage after steward where that land could be maybe permanently farmed by one LLC or one individual. Uh, but that hasn't been answered yet. Well, it's pretty exciting to well, think about. Or, you know, it occurs to me just listening to you how much, whenever I talk to PASA people, and the PASA people are often coming over uh, into New York to try and recruit more young farmers and showing up at Greenhorns events, so I talk to them kind of a lot, and they're saying over and over again, you know, come to come to Pennsylvania. There's so much land. There's so much opportunity for leasing. There's so much opportunity for purchasing. And excuse me, at a more reasonable rate. Um, yeah. And it would seem like if you've done a year of of apprenticeship and then three years of having your own business on an incubator, that you'd be the perfect, trustable, fully vetted candidate um, for either a lease or lease to own or um, passing a farm forward, and that yeah. it's almost like perfect setup. Yeah, that's a really good point. The The idea that you could maybe be a landowner who interviews a farmer who has a, a bit of a record, and at this point, Anton and I both are much, much clearer about the kind of land that would be ideal than we were even last year, I think. Well, there's a county in eastern Iowa. I've forgotten the name of the county. I could look it up. Um, uh, sorry, western Iowa. And in that county, you don't pay town taxes on your land if you are leasing your land to a beginning farmer. So in that way, the county level uh, government has made a rule that, you know, it's not a huge savings, but it's a significant savings, and it's and it's um, a strong indicator of their will to see farming as a, you know, as a business survive in their area and to really do what they can to support that transition of land to the next generation. So if Lehigh has already, as a county, um, you know, stewarded this incubator and, and wants it to be organic and wants to see more farmers coming to the area and starting out um, right next to Rodale and, building on that little, like, cove of opportunity, it seems like pretty possible to see some good action in this area. So we'll be watching you closely. That's awesome. Yeah, that gap of policy and when a township can really step in to take away some of those barriers to starting out farming, that's where I'm seeing a lot of potential right now. When I was just farming and working for other people, all the barriers seemed to be in, like, how am I going to farm? You know, how am I going to physically farm or how am I going to get land? And now that I'm farming every day, it feels uh, almost like I'm able to see that next step of that barrier. 
that townships really need to embrace either incubators or tax incentives or small business incentives or um, mixed-use land or some kind of ground lease or something to make to make it a little bit more accessible for people who really want to be farming to farm. Um, and so the operation that you're running right now, just to just to give a baseline, is you and another person, it's your full-time job, is that correct? I have a couple other uh, part-time, part-time gigs just because of community investment. I work at a public library here in the town that I live in, which is pretty important to me. And um, then I do some odd jobs for some cash, cash infusion. And my farm partner, Anton Shannon, is a part-time caretaker um, for his father. So he has that as a part-time job and then farms as well. And we had planned to farm part-time and then keep our part-time jobs, but now we're farming full-time and keeping our part-time jobs <laughs> just because the demands of the farm. Yeah. But we ideally would would like to farm as a, for a living. There's all sorts of issues, you know, with health care and, and money and benefits and all that silliness, too, to consider. But Well, yeah, and what's, what's definitely become very apparent to me in running Greenhorns and in running my own little farm is that it takes a few years for people to really settle into into you know, looking for your product, and if, you know, your guys are growing organic vegetables, um, you know, and so people are looking for you in the CSA world and, and then committing. Um, you don't do any farmer's markets, though, do you? We don't. We did one small farmer's market last year, but it, it, the farmer's market was so small it didn't run this year, um, and that was just in my my local town, my hometown. Um so yeah, this year we're just CSA, and we're full every year. We've been meeting our our projections, and we're full, and we have more people on our waiting list for next year. Just at this point, it's a, a staffing issue, and we're not quite sure we want to grow to the point to have staff. Um, but right. yeah, definitely, it takes a while for people to find us, and people are very surprised. People don't even really um, know what the seed farm is after passing it every day on their commute or whatever. There's more and more people now starting to stop and ask, oh, what is this? Oh, okay. CSA, what's CSA? You know, all those good questions that, that people start to well, ask when they... But then once farm. they lock in and they've got, they've figured out who's there and, and that they've gotten something really of, of quality that they may very well be willing to drive a little bit further away if you guys end up moving your operations, um, but that there is a tremendous benefit to staying close to where you start your business because that customer base... Um, and you know, for me, it's a lot. It's like weird, weird products. So it's like I, I'm even a, a smaller um, number of people who are interested in dried herbs. But keeping keeping proximity to your people is yeah. probably on your mind if you're thinking about you know moving off the incubator. Yeah, and there's something really special for anybody um, listening who started a farm or, or been involved in the CSA for a number of years. There's something super special about those core members. You know. We know their families. We know their kids. Many of them have had kids in the last couple of years because we have a kind of young clientele. So we've, you know, seen their families grow, and it's really exciting to be that connected to your your town and your community. 
Well, so let's talk a little bit about that connection because something that's been coming up a lot for me lately is how members or kind of, yeah, members, CSA members and community members in, in, that are working near farms or, or, you know, are beneficiaries of that farm relationship are becoming even more embedded in that farm by sharing services and skills. And, you know, I've been approached so many times and people say, well, what can I do to help young farmers? And I already buy local and I already do this and I already do that. What can I do more? And, you know, obviously you can only support with money to the level that you have money, but you can support with um, time and skills often beyond that financial capacity. And so some of the things that I've heard about are, you know, babysitting, um, engineering support, graphic design, website design, um, you know, managing the, the pick-your-own or managing the CSA pickup uh, or, or distribution packing. Have you had any of those kinds of um, relationships evolve beyond kind of customer or farmer? Uh, and could you speak on that topic a little bit or no? We have not yet. Um, and I'm not sure. That's a really good question. I'm not sure why. We... We do a lot of daydreaming, and it's been said on the farm this summer, the, I think it's Gloria Steinem, that daydreaming is a form of planning. Um, so we do a lot of daydreaming and a lot of um, sort of best-case scenario, you know, like we could have maybe a member do this or maybe a member do that. Um, and a couple of our members have stepped up and just started to ask that question. One of our members wanted to start a carpool this year to make it easier to get to the farm from his part of Allentown, which is about 10 miles away from the farm. Um, and I, I like that idea. We didn't implement it yet, but maybe at the latter part of the season when it slows down, that could be. I think our biggest hurdle in that has been the time that Anton and I are able to train and reach out and make that connection. Um, right now it's Anton and I, we have one really great workshare volunteer named Hannah who rides her bike into the farm from a, a neighboring city, and she's there once a week or so. Uh, but then that's it for four acres, so we're kind of... Um, we're kind of flat out. Kind of flat out, and then with our part-time jobs, too. So we get, we realize that that's a shortcoming, I think, on our part, but it's it's interesting to see some some members are, are curious and, and ask little things like how they could help, and then some members want to pick up and go because they are also, you know, super involved and busy in their in their lives. But I love yeah, the idea. Yeah, I think of I like that. I'm going to keep asking around and, and and working that working that angle because I just heard another from, from my friend Erin. She's now gotten it. So there's like um a round that's not a round table round robin. I don't even know if that's the right word, but she's basically got a, a road up, that's the word, where every Friday a different CSA member cooks lunch and brings it to the farm um, ahead of the CSA pickup so the farmers can get up super early and start harvesting for pickup and then like, have a break and be cooked for lunch um, and then keep harvesting and do distro. That's so and great. I just thought, wow, that's talk about you know good part planning on your farm mm-hmm. to, to mm-hmm. involve that's the social easy. element yeah. as well. Yeah, that's beautiful planning, definitely. We also, <laughs> Isn't that beautiful? Um, yeah, it's really nice. It's 
nice to be able to think about. I mean, as as we're winding down a little bit, we've got another month or so of harvest, maybe a little longer. Uh, but as we're winding down, it's nice to think about maybe some winter daydreaming plans like that. Uh, we are, I, I'd be really curious to talk to farmers about that too. One of the things that we are aware of here is that we are priced with all the other CSAs in the area. Um, and all those CSAs are full, pretty much. Like every CSA has a waiting list. So um, we also wonder if by being competitive and, and priced pretty evenly with the market, how much we can ask our members to contribute in a non-financial way. And I don't know if that is an issue that some farmers face um, we have a, kind of an unlimited amount of work shares at the beginning of the year. You know, we just put it out there that we could do work shares, and the most we've ever had has been three work shares. So people in our region seem to want to pay and and then get their vegetables, and they enjoy a U-Pick that's part of their CSA, but that's just kind of whenever they want to come and get stuff for themselves. Um, and then we donate anything they they don't pick up to food banks when we can, I'd be curious if if members would be interested in something like being part of the social and community aspects of the farm. Well, and again, you know, it's also that the members' lives are flexible enough, you know, because they're having to then, you know, be in a demonetized time situation. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, I, I, I don't know, this is just kind of a new thing that I'm starting to explore, and there's so many people... Uh, who are working in farming and who are, or, you know, working a farmer's market and then as a result of that, which is sometimes pretty well paid, the farmer's market, but it also comes with the capacity to trade with other vendors. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, basically not have to pay for food for the week. And they're, as a result, being able to do an art practice, pursue an art practice. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, one of the things that's always... Uh, strikes me in, in looking at the lives and tra- kind of professional trajectories of people in agriculture is, you know, what, what percentage of, of your life is monetized and what and then what are the things that you're able to demonetize. And so it's just a kind of a, just an exploration. Yeah. Uh, one of one my thing struggles I just, has been, oh, sorry, what's that? No, what's one of your life goals, yeah? Oh, one, one of the struggles that I've had is commuting to the farm um, by... Mm-hmm. By being a non-farm owning, a non-land owning farmer, we talk quite a bit about the capital S sustainability of it, of it all. And um, if you own your land or your land is secure, then or you live on land that is leased or secured, there's I think there can be that focus on that demonetization a little bit. Um, I think Anton and I are both walking. Um, a line walking between two worlds a little bit in um, maintaining a mortgage and a house and a commute and then getting to the farm, too. So, that's, yeah, it's a really interesting part of the, the whole equation. Yeah, that, you say you're driving 17 miles? Yeah. Yikes. I know. It's a lot. Not, uh, but not good for animals. Farm, yeah, exactly. The seed farm um, opportunity was was there, and it seems it is such a good program, and 
such an interesting thing that's happening in this area that hasn't happened before. That's it. Kind of, uh, I had to, to see what was going on with it, and it's it's definitely been worth it. So, if folks are interested to get more information about Seed Farm, they can go on the Google. Um, yep. Maybe they would could find you and talk to you about it, or talk to others who've been incubees. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure that those are all people are all listed on the site, and that that in all likelihood, if you planned it and, and made a schedule ahead of time over email, um, that young farmers who are interested in that program could get your you guys' plural uh, perspectives. Um, any other resources you wanted to highlight that, um, as you've been making the transition, and particularly in uh, Pennsylvania, for folks to consider? The extension office, our local extension office in Berks County, has been pretty helpful, and the extension office is usually connected with your farmland preservation people, which is usually connected with your land link people. And uh, the Lehigh County and Northampton County Extension Office uh, offices that deal directly with the Seed Farm nonprofit and that land preservation group of people have been incredibly awesome. And the classes they offer are vast and accessible and sometimes discounted. And even as interns, we got um, some tuition waivers for those classes. And they're pretty amazing. Well, and it's not everywhere that you have awesome and amazing extension. So go Lehigh County to exactly. realize that you, if you have high-quality office and high-quality extension officers and agents and good programming, that you're going to attract good talent to the, to the county. So that's great to hear. Yeah, exactly. That's uh, well said, and they are, they are deserving of, of some investigation if you're in this region. Um, there's a really great extension officer in North Carolina, and people come from out of state for her classes. Nice. She's so good. That's great. So we, we have to make sure that when we find them really good, that we make sure that they're feeling the love, because um, the extension yeah. is suffering serious uh, cuts. So anyway, this is it. This is our time. And Sarah, I wanted to say thank you so much for your great contribution um, and for deciding to leave printmaking and come into farming. We appreciate your talent. <laughs> well, thank you for asking uh, us to talk. Hopefully you get to talk to Anton some, someday in the future and hear his, his, uh, his perspective and his next plans, too. Sounds like a good one. Sounds like everyone's thinking ahead of the of time, which is very important. Um, anyone who is listening uh, and thinking ahead of time, think ahead to the events that are coming up. Um, American Farmland Trust has their annual lobby day on the no- November fifteenth. That's in Albany, at the Capitol, which is amazing, weirdo place. That are these kind of modernist towers and there's bra- brass railings and marble walls, and it's, it's definitely worth an ex- as an experience of involving yourself in uh, the world of government and visiting the offices of various representatives and, and list for them for the benefits of supporting farmland protection and some of the programs that we all benefit from, as well as meeting other advocates and farmers from around the state. Just give them a little check out at American Farmland Trust. And that's their New York Lobby Day. Uh, Greenhorns also has 
some events in November coming up. A farm hack in New York and Brooklyn um, in partnership with Third Ward and Build It Green uh, and Brooklyn Grange. There'll be tours, meals, uh, group charrettes around uh, different tool designs, and it's a basically a way for farmers and engineers to work together collaboratively uh, on appropriate technologies for sustainable agriculture. So that and more is on our website. We just made a little video that you can see uh, that just went up on weed dating. We had a very good event in Maine. We had about 85 people show up to basically do, like, dating service. Um while weeding, and not only did people have a great time and meet each other, and I knew that there were at least three dates that happened that were real dates as a result of that event, but um, also the nervous energy of all that encountering every four minutes you get to meet with someone new meant that the, the field was picked clean, and it was amazing. It was Echinacea and Ella Campaign. Uh, grown by the Mosca incubator farmers who are wonderful and amazing. But um, it was very weedy and when we started, and, and when we were done, it was thick and thin. So I think there's a great future in this weed dating, and we really should charge the host farms for our services. Um, so that's all, and thank you so much for joining us uh, on Greenhorn Radio. Okay, bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes Store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.